Life in Colour is a brand new show that will discuss current affairs from a different perspective that you probably don't hear about often enough. Our show will be amplifying the voices of minorities around the world in a global conversation about the most important issues that face us today. We'll be chatting about ideas of racism, sexism, imperialism, nationalism, white privilege, all in the context of current affairs in Australia and beyond. So today we've got a really interesting show. We're going to be speaking about um, issues concerning women, uh, sexual violence, domestic abuse. It's a bit heavy, but we're going to be talking about some some uh, recent issues, uh, such as the controversy over Eddie Maguire and also the um, Stanford College student who was um, indicted in that rape case in the US. And after that, we're going to be talking all things Brexit. (laughs) What is Brexit? You'll find out if you don't know already. It's not a cereal. It's not a cereal as my sister thought. Um, Probably before we do that, should put a bit of a trigger warning out there. Yes. As since some of the topics may be a bit heavy for some listeners. So just to know that... Yes. Um, we're discussing women's issue and something quite topical that's happened is of course the Eddie Maguire controversy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mind you, women's issues is <laughs> <laughs> a bit broad. Yes, yeah. very very broad, but we're going to try and keep it topical. topical. Yeah, and we wanted to talk about something that happened recently um and is also quite local. Uh so what happened was Eddie Maguire who is such a huge sport personality and media figure in Australia. Um he was he was on some sort of I think it was a radio show and he was joking about um drowning another sports journalist who was female um, into icy water and saying that he would pay, you know, 10000 or however much just to keep her um, keep her un- underneath the sea. Um, so that was that was a really f- incredibly sexist statement <laughs> from uh, from Eddie Maguire. And since then, there's been obviously quite a lot of controversy, a lot of backlash um, that he's had to face. Yeah. But he hasn't specifically actually apologised. He he apologised for the way it might have um, made people feel, but he hasn't actually apologised for what he said. And I just find it it says a lot of things about um, society in general. So the first thing that really um, it that's really highlighted is the fact that sexist language is so pervasive in culture um, and how easy it is to say things like, you know, oh, I want to drown a woman um, and how it's okay to say that and, and to think that it's okay to say that without any implications. Um, and the fact that he is so influential, I think it goes to show that it just perpetuates a cycle of um, thinking that such language is okay and that um, sexual violence is just kind of like it's just reduced to like you know some banter like something that you can you can do like it's just a ca- very casual sexist remark and it's just crazy like what he said so what do you guys think about it um yeah i'm pretty yeah disappointed in his, his apology after a lot of controversy yeah he put out an apology where it was basically sorry not sorry you mm. can't take a joke that was kind of the the gist of it. Yeah, and it wasn't really an apology. No, he it? didn't actually, yeah. He didn't see anything wrong in what he said. And a lot of other people didn't see anything wrong no. in it either. They were just like, it was very much what's like all the fuss, fuss about? about? It's like the whole thing, like mm. women are being hysterical, they're being so sensitive, but it's like w- violence against women is a reality that women have to face. Like domestic violence is one of the biggest yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, it's a huge problem in Australia, and I think that people um, forget how much of a problem it is. Um, if you consider the amount of um, deaths and uh, the amount of suffering and pain that a lot of women have gone through in Australia, it's kind of like a silent killer, I feel, that a lot of people don't um, acknowledge that it's such a huge problem. A lot of people think that the biggest threat to Australia is like terrorism and um, the fear of a terrorist attack, and they're like, oh... Um, you know, that's where a lot of the funding goes to mm. to deal with um, things such as um, radical terrorism. But if you look at, you know, statistics-wise, the amount of people who have um, who have suffered or, or have been killed from um, terrorism is nothing like is nothing like um, the amount of people that have suffered from domestic violence. Um, and the fact is, the perpetrators are not these scary brown men or bearded mm. Muslim men um, that are coming in and, you know, changing our way, way of life and oppressing our women. No, the the perpetrators of a lot of the deaths in this country and a lot of other countries mm. are men who look like, you know, the, the, the men that you see, citizens. ordinary people, you mm. know, white men, um, Men, men in your family, men in your, um, you know, your relatives. You know, that's that's what they look like. That's within what the community. Yeah, men within your community, the the men that you see on on the train in, you know, in the city, walking around in in business suits. That could be a criminal right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, we're not. We shouldn't try and scare everyone. But... <laughs> not to scare you, but I just want people yeah, to really yeah. think about their perceptions of oh. what is evil, what is what is yeah. violent, because mm-hmm. a lot of the violence that is perpetrated or um, or kind of condoned or kind of spread uh, doesn't just come from like Definitely. men of colour or or men from like a certain religion, Religion's, such yeah. as Eddie Maguire. Yeah. You know? And in general, there's this whole idea of stranger danger and that is valid, but statistically, um, you're more likely actually to be murdered by someone you know, specifically a family member and within your own home. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of invisibility, whereas it's this mm. idea that it's, like, uh, yeah, the idea of, like, someone who is violent is this, like, kind of axe murder hiding behind the bush. But actually, it's probably... actually Could be your own your husband, own, your, your own, own father, father. Yeah. uncle, yeah, yeah exactly. someone from school. Yeah. And this is something interesting that I found. And in that talking about the response to the Eddie Maguire incident, a lot of people particularly the woman involved was painting as just being like emotional about yeah. it, a bit mm. hysteric. And it's funny to think that female hysteria used to be a common medical diagnosis for women, often attributed, <laughs> yeah, often attributed, um, this is from the research that I've done, often attributed to sexual frustration. <laughs> so Crazy, yeah. it's this idea, again, it's using your using a woman's femaleness yeah. as her weakness. Yeah. yeah. And reducing all of her perspective and opinion mm. um, as just, oh, you're just being emotional. emotional. Yeah. You can't take a joke. Yeah, you can't like, take a joke. Yeah. Luckily, just, it's not a common medical diagnosis any longer, but it seems to be a social one more and more. Still prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely happens, like, even... Something small like complaining about getting cat caught. Sometimes you have male friends being like, oh, but you're getting a compliment. Like people, oh, you're overreacting. It's a really common thing, even in like these kind of small everyday mm. interactions. But those small day-to-day interactions kind of are indicative of like 
you know, kind of broader perspectives yeah. and broader ways. Yeah, and I think really what we're trying to do is talk about the connection between an attitude, so an idea, how people think, how people feel about something, and how it translates into mm. a really negative action. People say things, things like what Eddie Maguire said. Yeah. He said that because it had been normalized, I th- I yes. would say it's something that has been normalized in society where a lot of people would think that that's totally okay to say. There were a lot of people who didn't find anything wrong in what he said. He Mm. was called out about it after it had happened. And though there were a lot of people who definitely pointed it out and said, well, that is wrong and that is something that you just shouldn't say. Mm. And what he was talking about was something so much more sinister and more serious yeah. than that because we're talking about what what was brought up in that was the issue of domestic violence or abuse or which is often it's perpetrated against both men and women yeah. but certainly women are disproportionately yeah, yeah. disproportionately affected yeah. affected by domestic violence abuse and the fact that a lot of people are still having this kind of mentality. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And this incident happened, okay, publicly because they're journalists. But it's within their workplace. Like, they're both mm. sports journalists. So they're mm. both colleagues. Mm. And it's just interesting that, like, as colleagues, as peers, mm. he, he would say something this kind of horrendous because that's quite impacting her workplace environment. And mm. But women in workplace pro- have to deal with these kind of things often often it's just not in the public because they're not you know media heads and it's just like the way even if nothing kind of come by buys about it like it's it's still that kind of environment that creates it's like Mm. you're creating this boys club you're not excluded you're not a part of it Mm. this kind of and it's almost seemingly you're supposed to be involved. Well, she's a woman yeah. who's a sports Sport, yeah. sports reporter, which, is, which a, is a complete. She's very she's very, she's completely different from what is predominant in her field. A male who is a sports reporter, and that, in a sense, puts her on the outside Fine. straight away. And then on top of that, to have to have something like that to her and you know what it would be interesting to think whether it's the first time something mm-hmm. has like that has been said to her and it just happened that this happened in the public, public sphere. sphere yeah i would say it would be like workplace harassment i, I mean yeah, I, definitely yeah. yeah if if especially if it was continuous like you're mm. saying like maybe being a woman in the sports journalist field if this is the norm if this is the things yeah. that people accept all the time yeah it's, and i think when, when I think about, okay, where to from now? Like, what, how can we improve the situation for women and erase this culture of sexism? Mm-hmm. I feel like the AFL um, would have, should have played a, a huge role in what happened um, or any place that he is employed in. Like, they should have showed leadership and said, um, this kind of language is wrong. We don't stand for sexism. Just to show leadership in, 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 in these fields that have such a huge influence as AFL does in Australia like to me AFL is it's sort of like a, a national religion it's it's like a cult like you mm. know people go there every week um they they barrack for their teams they yeah. a lot of them are like passionately yeah you know they're really passionate about the AFL and it's it's part of the, their like daily activity it's it's part of who they are as Australian um and even with like the Adam Goods controversy um 
the AFL really didn't say enough to stand up and say, you know, to stand up with him to show solidarity. In fact, I remember one of the CEOs saying, you know, we didn't we didn't do enough, like one of the heads of the AFL saying we didn't do enough to help him. Um, And, you know, it's too late, but they they have that opportunity, you know, they have have the potential to influence how how so many Australians may may because or may it's not a culture. it's yeah. the culture so the culture of football for them to be is leaders, so big yeah, yeah exactly they should use that they have as a, a lot of influence so i'm really disappointed in them that they yeah. that they haven't used Definitely. that power that they have in good and i think one thing that is really positive is that domestic violence as an issue has become more prevalent in people's minds because of the huge campaigning around it in the last couple of years especially since the incident of Rosie Batty and her um her experience of domestic violence having become then the Australian of the year and the work that she's been using with her opportunity to garner more attention and more exposure for others to to better understand the issues surrounding the issue of domestic violence and abuse, family abuse, etc. Yeah. But still, definitely just more needs to happen. happen. Yeah. Because a lot of people just think that it's it's normal that the things you say, the things you do, that those small actions don't mm. realize really what it stems from and why it is a problem to condone those yeah. kind of those yeah. kind of actions and and I think we should we should always continue these conversations with yeah. with the people around you if someone says something mm. sexist or or says something demeaning to women um you know to try and call them out I know it can be really hard and mm. kind of awkward sometimes especially if there's someone close to you or maybe mm. <laughs> maybe like your coworker you know <laughs> someone that you have to see you know, on a on a regular basis, mm. maybe someone who has more p- power than you, like a boss. Or mm. we we need to find ways of how to how to yeah. deal with these really tricky situations. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad we're talking about it because it really needs to be talked about. And it just it it it's not brought up enough, especially like if you think about the election that's coming up. I haven't really yeah, heard anything no. about um you know what these politicians have promised to do for for women's and w- women rights. So we have to start the conversation. <laughs> so why not here? <laughs> I guess everyone's probably been aware of the controversial kind of Stanford rape case where um, basically Brooke Turner is a kind of Stanford swimmer, um, Stanford student who participated in like the uni swimming sports and was convicted guilty for raping a girl. And he only got six month sentence. Mm. <laughs> and um, it's been quite controversial because a lot of the kind of focus with the media reporting has been about his future as this bright uni student and how this is how his future's been lost like his dad made a statement saying that um going to prison is um too much of a sacrifice for him or too much of a punishment for 20 minutes of action and what's interesting is that this the actual victim or survivor of the rape um her future hasn't actually been considered even though she's sort of like I know it's just interesting that like he's the perpetrator and he's had he's made a decision but he's not held accountable but this poor woman's decision yeah her future isn't considered accountable yeah yeah so I wonder how you guys feel about that kind of response to someone who is like 
been proven to commit a rape, but yeah. this not being taken seriously simply because、mm. he fits into this American idea of this like white blonde swimmer, and then、yeah. why certain people,、um, and people made many parallel cases that when people maybe who are black or from a poorer background or who aren't from、yeah. who don't fit into description of this ideal America have committed similar things.、Yeah. It's been kind of an outrage, but、yeah. with him, there's been so much sympathy.、Mm. I think.、Um, For me, it's quite clearly racist. Like whatever whoever has made that decision, and, and the media that's played into this、um, image of him being this good all American boy who was a champion swimmer, and then he, you know, accidentally、oh, just did something one night.、Um, but you know, we don't want to ruin his future,、yeah. um, and you know, painting him as an innocent man. If you look at the images in the articles,、um, they'll have images of you know him in the swimming pool,、um, him like in his college uniform, looking all. All you know, innocent and、yeah. and clean and looking, but、um, not many place,、uh, not many media outlets have、um, uh, revealed his、um, mugshot that he th- that's in jail, and, and that's he looks like a completely different person. The mugshot was actually、yeah. the police that was complicit to that. The police,、mm. instead of re-、um, releasing the mugshot to the public, they released this nicer kind of clean up photo、yeah. of him they took the day after, and they didn't release the mugshot until yeah. Pr- Prior to the case, so、and、it's interesting the way that the police、so、is willing to protect. Yeah, this you、person. feel like you know all the different it's、um, you know avenues in society. So you've got like the media, media you've got the police, the, the, police ju- the judge. You know, it's it's just kind of is it more than a coincidence? Yeah, you know, like I can't be told that it's not racism when you see how white,、yeah. um, a lot of different. Um, establish, establishments have kind of just been very, very, very complicit,、um, and it's just ridiculous because, as you said, it was clearly like there was clear evidence that he did. There the were、crime. two witnesses. Yeah, there were witnesses,、um, and but you know, out of out of all that horrible, you know, all, all that horrificness, I feel like I don't know. If that's a word.、Um, it can be. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's make it a word. Out of all that horrificness,、um, I feel like it was. It was. I'm glad that it went viral, and I'm glad that people kept、um, sharing his yeah, face and and saying, you know, he's the perpetrator. He's he、mm. he raped this woman,、um, because I feel like everyone else was complicit. Like the media was complicit, the judges were complicit, the police were complicit. But I feel like people supported the victim and、yeah. said, you know what, we're not going to let him get away with it. We're going to、yeah. make sure that people people know. About the crime that he did, yeah, and yeah. Yeah. he only received a six-month sentence. And turns out that an explanation for that might just be a technical reason, as in to do with the laws and the definition of rape. So, it was formerly talked about as the Brock Turner rape case, but has that has been changed in most media. In most media representations of the case, to the sexual assault case, and that is because assault with intent to commit rape of an intoxicated or unconscious person, penetrating an intoxicated person with a foreign object, and penetrating an unconscious person with a foreign object, is not considered rape. That is sexual assault. In California state law, because California state law defines rape as penetration, penal penetration. So, which is different from the federal laws, where 
rape is defined as penetration no matter how slight of the vagina or anus with any body part or object without the consent of the victim so because this happened in California and that is where the trial and everything proceeded it has been reduced to a lesser sentence of sexual assault Mm. even though many would say that it was rape Mm. and I think when you say sexual assault it kind of um makes whatever happened look less less bad less evil um, it's it's really the or use of language yeah. and yeah diminishes an yeah. the hurt that she felt. And just for a parallel case, like afterwards, um, a black man called Herbert Smith got sixty years for a driving prohibition, and the judge I forgot the judge's name. How many years? Sorry, sixty years. Sixty years. Yeah, so it's for driving without a proper license. Um, there was obviously a big out, out, outrage against that, and this judge has been notorious for giving really heavy sentences mm. for people of black and has been outright accused of racism. So it's interesting. It's true that, yeah, he's got the minimum sentence for sexual assault, but there's still a lot of discretion with the judge on applying laws. And yeah. and if these judges are racist, because you know, in their, they're people who are part of society, and they're not yeah. these like neutral beings. Yeah, I don't think that judges yeah. are... Yeah. <laughs> Immune from racism. Racism, yeah. And it's interesting um, how you have such disproportionate sentencing. It's like one Mm. for a prohibition license. Yeah. And one for... I think it's really important to just go back to just even thinking about the experience for the young woman as Mm. well. Because in so many incidences such as this, her experience is really diminished you know yeah, the f- silent yeah. Yeah. a major yeah. factor in the case was because she was she, she had been intoxicated she couldn't remember much of what had happened and for some reason it was kind of like used as an excuse like oh it's kind of her fault, fault. that it happened yeah. it's never the victim's fault absolutely and yeah. she gave a really powerful statement actually during the hearing and she was talking directly to to the yeah to Brock Turner, who mm. was the accused. And I'm just going to read a small section. It's really long and it's... And it's, it's online if it's you want to read it. It's really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, she has a lot of courage. Yeah, definitely. And this is one part of what she said. I tried to push it out of my mind, but it was so heavy. I didn't talk. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I didn't interact with anyone. After work, I would drive to a secluded place to scream. I didn't talk, I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I didn't interact with anyone. And I became isolated from the ones I loved most. For over a week after the incident, I didn't get any calls or updates about that night or what happened to me. The only symbol that proved that that it hadn't just been a bad dream was the sweatshirt from the hospital in my drawer. And there are, she's very descriptive, mm. and there are a lot of, a lot of real emotion you can feel about how this experience, how the experience really has affected her. Yeah, and it's really sad to think that, in a sense, because of the way in which it has been put out in the media, because of the sentencing, some mm. would say isn't up to, up to what. Essentially, she will have to live every day for the rest of the li- for of her life, and he is not demonstrating any real remorse. Mm. Yeah, 
for the incident that it has been diminished to yeah. that level and her experience has been diminished. Yeah, and I feel like she was so courageous to, mm. I mean, not only just to stand up in front of him and say, mm. and be able to say all that, but then she, she actually gave that letter to, I think, BuzzFeed or one of mm. the major news yes, outlets for them to I share. Got that from yeah, and, and then it went viral and mm. a lot of people read it. And um, I think it was, I think that was great because it kind of gave the victim a voice yeah. and it kind of humanized um, women's experience. Like, you know, people, it allowed people to empathize with, with women because I feel like a lot of the talk around sexism and, um, um, you know, prejudice against women, um, a lot of it doesn't get anywhere because men just don't, and or others, you know, they just don't understand where we, where women are coming from. Yep. And like we were talking about before, whenever we say something like that's sexist or that's wrong, a lot of people, a lot of um, men will say, um, "Oh, you know, it's just a joke. Don't be too emotional. Don't take it so, don't don't be so heavy-hearted about it. You know, just just chill. You know, um, you're you're being too irrational. You're just making too much of a commotion." Um, and I feel like that letter must have really put things into perspective. Like, no, I'm not making a commotion and I'm not too emotional. Yeah. These things have happened and I want the world to know about it because it's wrong. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just speaking of experience, that experience in general where a lot of women's views are often put to the background and there has been so much done in recent times, I we can commend yeah. our yeah. society on having done that mm. to really try and talk about women's issues, not just as women's issues, but just as things that we should talk about, yeah. you know, as they are people mm. as well. And for me, I think as a young woman, that's really important and that's really yeah. empowering, but it's still sad. We have a long way to go. In the sense go. that yeah. it's seen as something like, it's it has its own separate category mm, it's mm. not just a common discussion it's not the common discourse it's not just yeah. how things go yeah. it's really a separate discussion yeah yeah often totally. it's put in the, its own little box it's talked about in a particular way and yeah that's really that's really sad Fun. but i have an interesting poem and it's called shrinking women by lily myers and we just thought that it was really powerful, some of the things that she says in the poem, just, again, talking about how it is that women are talked about or women's, women's experience, women's yeah. experience and growing up. Yeah, and yeah. wanted to share that. And this is the poem, Shrinking Women by Lily Myers. Across from me at the kitchen table, my mother smiles over red wine that she drinks out of a measuring glass. She says she doesn't deprive herself but I've learned to find nuance in every movement of her fork. In every crinkle in her brow as she offers me the uneaten pieces on her plate, I've realized she only eats dinner when I suggest it. Mm. I wonder what she does when I'm not there to do so. Maybe this is why my house feels bigger each time I return. It's <laughs> as she shrinks, the space around her seems increasingly vast. She wanes while my father waxes. His stomach has grown round with wine, late nights, oysters, poetry, a new girlfriend who was overweight as a teenager, but my dad reports now she's crazy about fruit. It was the same with his parents. As my grandmother became frail and angular, her husband swelled to red round cheeks, 
rotund stomach, and I wonder if my lineage is one of women shrinking, making space for the entrance of men into their lives, not knowing how to fill it back up once they leave. I have been taught accommodation. My brother never thinks before he speaks. I have been taught to filter. How can anyone have a relationship to food, he asks, laughing, as I eat the black bean soup I chose for its lack of carbs. I want to say we come from difference, Jonas. You have been taught to grow out. I have been taught to grow in. You learn from our father how to commit, how to produce, to roll each thought off your tongue with confidence. You used to lose your voice every other week from shouting so much. I learned to absorb. I took lessons from our mother in creating space around myself. I learned to read the knots in her forehead while the guys went out for oysters. And I never meant to replicate her, but spend enough time sitting across from someone and you pick up their habits. That's why women in my family have been shrinking for decades. We all learned it from each other, the way each generation taught the next how to knit, weaving silence in between the threads, which I can still feel as I walk through this ever-growing house. Skin itching, picking up all the habits my mother has unwittingly dropped, like bits of crumpled paper from her pocket on her countless trips, from bedroom to kitchen to bedroom again. Nights I hear her creep down to eat plain yogurt in the dark, a fugitive stealing calories to which she does not feel entitled. Deciding how many bites is too many, how much space she deserves to occupy. Watching the struggle, I either mimic or hate her, and I don't want to do either anymore, but the burden of this house has followed me across the country. I asked five questions in genetics class today, and all of them started with the word sorry. I don't know the capstone major because I spent the whole meeting deciding whether or not I could have another piece of pizza. A circular obsession I never wanted, but inheritance is accidental. Still staring at me with wine-soaked lips from across the kitchen table. And that was Shrinking Women by Lily Maya. But now we're going to be talking about Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> What is Brexit, guys? I think a lot of people don't actually know what it is. No. For instance, my sister thought it was a new cereal taking taking on the world. And because it just happened, we have to talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Don't think we but, planned this, but yeah, it just, no, but it was it's everywhere. A huge thing. It's a I mean, huge thing. It's probably one of the most significant thing to happen international yeah. relations in like absolutely years like the ramifications even as Australians my degree just got so much more interesting <laughs> <laughs> they've got to rewrite all the textbooks <laughs> yeah UK no longer well basically they had a referendum mm -hmm. where all the citizens in the UK could vote whether to for the uh, for UK to stay or leave the EU and they won by a small uh, margin to leave the to leave the EU mm. um so this is going to have huge consequences for all the people who travel, either, yeah. either British citizens who are living abroad or abroad people living in the UK. Mm. But it's also interesting, the kind of main campaign for staying in has been quite nationalistic, racist, anti-immigration. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm wondering, because when the whole Brexit issue was, was in the media, I was trying to figure out exactly why people wanted to leave the European Union, like what are the motives? And it was actually really hard to find any articles that um, specifically detailed any kind of like economic fiscal benefit for, for Britain. It was kind of um, spoken about generally, but not, not with 
like enough detail for for me or anyone, especially in the UK, to like actually be informed about you know what does um, what does Brexit mean for us and whether I should vote for it or not. I'm sure it was a lot more. There was a lot more awareness about what Brexit is all about and the implications and why we want to do it within the UK. But outside of it, I couldn't find much. But what I did find was a lot of. Um, uh, articles about the nationalist sentiment of it and how um, people were using Brexit um, or maybe it's part of their campaign to um, to kind of uh, inculcate this sentiment of um, British first, you know, Britain's yeah. first before being part of the EU. Um, we're not European, we're British, you know, all that, that pride in um, British history and, and culture and whatever. So... Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and I wonder if a lot of the population that um, voted f- for them to leave were um, voted to leave not necessarily because of the economic benefits or you know the the, the implications for the policies, yeah, um, and and stuff like that, but more so just out of a feeling of yeah, like that nationalistic kind of sentiment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think analyzing the demographic is really interesting. Yeah, on the news, they've been showing a lot about talking and looking at who voted to stay and who voted to leave and coincidentally or Mm non-coincidentally the higher the person's age the more likely it seemed that they were to vote to leave and that's what that's what was demonstrated in the graphs that have since been produced Mm -hmm. after the results have been announced that young people a majority of young people overwhelmingly voted to stay in the EU, whereas the majority of older people People. voted to leave the EU. And there's been a lot of anger from young people, a lot of anger from European citizens within, living within the United Kingdom, because there are um, over 2 million? 2.5 million um, EU uh, citizens and uh, both, residing in, London, uh, yeah. in the UK. Yeah. And both, it seems, are very uncertain. So both young mm. people and both the millions of... Young people in Britain and EU feeling like... Yeah, yeah the, very the uncertain. they once had. Absolutely. They're feeling disadvantaged. Mm, yeah. They're maybe feeling so, as yeah. if they're very angry. That's yeah. a lot of the sentiment that's coming up from the, that they're very angry. They're feeling disadvantaged by the decision which they feel has been made primarily by older, older voters. voters. Yeah. Mm. And there was a graph that made the point that predominantly the younger people have voted to stay but made a parallel to like how many years that they have to live with this decision <laughs> and how the older people who predominantly voted to um, to leave have less longer to live. So they, it's kind of like whose future you're kind of playing with mm. and it's the kind of thing that will have such huge ramifications like it's not a surprise yeah. that there's not much information about what would happen because i don't think anyone really knows the implication like yeah. the way that the eu and the uk is entangled yeah and the way that their economies the way that people with so many people living in between them like and yeah and i think it would take i think they were saying it would take at least two years mm-hmm. for them to leave the eu um officially Absolutely. and there's about eighty thousand pages of constitution that yeah. they have to go through figure out which policies they need to amend which ones they need to ratify which ones they need to keep such um such as that so yeah it, it's such a huge thing and i i'm really it will be really interesting to see the consequences on um on young people who mm. who once thought that you know um the borders were open for them to be able to travel to Europe, study in Europe and, and, and reverse and the reverse for European for Europeans to be able to go to Britain for the same thing. And also for people of colour and immigrants and um 
because um, we're already seeing the consequences of the Brexit on people's um, sentiments against yeah. people of colour. So there was one um, mayor of one of the towns in the UK who was um, who was for staying. Like she she was part of the Remain campaign. Um, and then after the Brexit result, someone a few people t- tweeted back to her and be like, "Oh, pack your bags, you're going." She's a Muslim person of color, um, oh. and you know, and she was you know a UK resident born and born and Absolutely. raised in the UK. Not and she was like, mention, it's already starting. Mm, not to mention the the cold murder essentially of, yeah. of, of the politician of Joe Cox, yeah. Joe Cox yeah. absolutely which which seemed to have been heavily politically motivated the person who was the perpetrator did not agree with her stats on the Remain mm, campaign. And, campaign. and made it yeah. quite obvious by shouting Britain mm. first right. before yeah. stabbing and her. she was known for advocating for um Increase Syrian refugees immigration and that's what a lot of this kind of remain campaign has been about of this idea that EU is going to force UK to take in more refugees Mm. and these these refugees going to steal all our jobs yeah which is has like no substantial basis but that's the rhetoric yeah this is um kind of a comment made on Facebook by a woman called Maya Goodfellow a UK a UK resident who, who writes I've never felt less welcome in this country there are the terrifying words I've heard far too many times from migrants and UK-born people of colour in the run-up to the EU referendum. Open anti-migration hostility has been embraced, let loose by a referendum designed to placate a fractured Tory party. In a country that takes pride in being tolerant, one of the central messages of the campaigns become, foreign might contribute, but they're to blame for our problems. We need our country back. Now if a vote to leave, it has been legitimised and this country has been cleaved into two. Mm. It's crazy, and it all just happens so quickly. I feel like, mmm. yeah, yeah, it's just we it don't went know. from zero to a hundred very quickly. Yeah, and 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 I think a lot of people are just confused. Like we don't know what this is going to like the implications mm. for this. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. And mind you, not every country is in Europe is part of the European Union. Yeah, but Britain has is the second largest economy, mm. or was sorry, was the second largest economy yeah. in the European <laughs> Union and I think the largest contributor of troops or servicemen defence in the European Union as well. So it's going to have really huge implications and I think people have also been discussing what implications it would have for Australians, for example, who still have those Commonwealth ties and obviously still being a Commonwealth nation. Yeah, so no mm. one really knows what's going to happen. But yes, it seems to be increasingly just so much anger, dissatisfaction on the path of young people, mm, migrants confusion. and immigrants. Yeah. Confusion. Yeah. A lot of people who did vote leave just weren't even sure that it was going to happen and were very surprised. But the implications are unknown and frightening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or <laughs> not. We're not sure. We don't so. know. I think it's too early to tell. Mm. Yeah, it's been like a day, so... But yeah, it'll be interesting to to follow. And that was another episode brought to you by Life in Color. Feel free to join our conversation, share your personal stories, and like our Facebook page, Life in Color, and follow us on Twitter at It's Life in Color Show. Or tune in to us every Saturday, 1 p.m. only at Sin 90.7.